Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. I'm Jesse Salt. As you can tell, I'm not Pastor Brian. As uh, Lauren lets you know, I'm not Pastor Brian. Anyway, uh, I'm here to give the message today, and I'm the youth pastor here. I serve in that capacity with my wife, LaDonna, who she's awesome at it. She helps me make uh, not a fool of myself on Wednesday nights. Now, when Pastor Brian said that I was going to be talking today on a prayer that Jesus gave... I immediately thought, oh, he's going to give me an easy one for my first ever time on stage on a Sunday morning and give me the Lord's Prayer. Because honestly, I know that one by heart. We all do. I've studied it. I've talked on it. And then he said, no, no, I'm going to give you a Jesus Prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I said, oh, uh, <laughs> not a problem. I still know that one. I just have never actually unpacked it. So in a way, I'm very grateful to Pastor Brian because it forced me to actually look very deep into what this scripture means. And just to let you know, uh, he told me we rent this building till one. So I generally have to end around 1230. Good? No? No? Okay, fine. Uh, He actually said, just so long as I get you out before the Catholic mass, we're good. Okay? (laughs) But before we get too far in... Obviously, I would like to lift this uh, message up in prayer. Um, So if you'd bow your heads, close your eyes, take whatever posture you need. Uh, Father God, thank you for today, uh, for this opportunity to open your word and to unpack it. I pray that the prep work that went into this uh, in the preceding weeks was all Holy Spirit-led from you, that the notes, the scriptures being used are what you would want uh, for your people to hear, to know you more and know exactly what you did for us more um, so that we can come to a better appreciation of the sacrifice that you made for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, that's the introduction. Was that good? First time? Fair enough. So, I'm going to say it again, happy Father's Day. And the reason I'm going to say that a few times today is fairly simple. We're looking at a prayer from a son to his father. And at a cursory glance at the prayer, people generally take this a little bit different. But some of that is the way that we look at it from today's standpoint. So let's think about it for one second. What do we consume on a regular basis that could possibly influence the way we look at dads today? The media, Hollywood, news in general, it is not lifting fathers up in the household like it once was. And it really has torn down the idea of dads. Like, let's just look at Hollywood for a second. Uh, I think of Hollywood in many different stages. And now if I was my mom, and she has brought this up many times, she loved Hollywood fathers like uh, uh, Mr. Cleaver, right? 
Mr. Brady. These guys that were strong, smart, could still be funny, but their kids would come to them and bear their hearts to them, confess things that they did to them, and trust their dad would maybe punish them, but also help them get through it, right? I was raised in a slightly different era. The TV fathers I had, uh, first one, I mean, let's just break it down. Fat, stupid, lazy, drunk, selfish, doesn't do much right. It was so bad for Homer Simpson that even the PG episodes, my mom wouldn't let me watch because the relationship between Homer Simpson and his son, Bart, was not a good one. And she didn't want me being influenced by it. Now, me being the crafty um, child that I was, I understood my parents had date nights on Tuesday nights. And uh, there were two Simpsons episodes when they were gone. I still watched, but the thing is, my parents would pull me aside, and they told me the problems with this father figure, that this is not typical. At the time, fathers were not Homer Simpson. And it's still true today. If you look at the vast majority of fathers, it's not Homer Simpson. Would we agree? The fathers in this church are not Homer Simpson? Any Homer Simpsons in the crowd? As Pastor Brian would say, don't point. Hi, Alan. <laughs> he raised his hand, so he's like, point me out. <laughs> You're not. You're better than that. You know it. Anyway, um, so no Homer Simpsons. Another father that we could look at is from another famous uh, show in the 90s called Boy Meets World. Now, in this, in this series, you do have a good father Corey's father, he was that old school sort of could do something stupid, but he still was doing the right thing. He would take care of his family, provide for him. But then there was their friend, Sean, and his father was an absentee father, a dad who would leave his son for weeks, months at a time, abandon his kid. A little later on in the series, Sean is sitting with his father. His father's in a hospital bed, and Sean says, I'm messed up. Absentee fathers do that, don't they? They mess us up. Going a little farther, don't start me on Disney dads. <laughs> okay, so starting in the top corner, we got King Triton. Overbearing father makes the daughter want to run away. Step over a spot, fat, stupid overbearing father makes the daughter want to run away. Over another spot, stupid father, overbearing father makes his son want to run away. And on the bottom, if you're a good dad, you're a dead dad. Right? I mean, if we look at these fathers, Tiana's father, he was a good dad. He was portrayed pretty well, a family man, dead, before he could give the values that he had in him to his daughter. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it by now, man, right over Mufasa. Good dad, trying to get his son to know what it means to be king. Dead before his son could learn the lesson. And then we've got, if you don't know this one, it's an old reference, Cinderella's father. By all accounts, loved his daughter. So much so that he needed to find somebody else to help him take care of her. Made a bad choice, died as a dad, and left her with a wicked stepmother. So, overbearing, overbearing, overbearing. Good but dead, good but dead, good but dead. Disney, right? 
In fact, in my lifetime, the father that I watched the most on television was even looking back, not the greatest dad. <laughs> to a point, he loved his family, he was there, right? He did his best, but he was an idiot. He messed up all the time. Somehow found a way to kind of make it right, but not always. But his kids would sometimes come to him. But the depiction of the good father was a stupid dad. And this influences not only the way we look at our fathers, but our father. Is it a wonder we uh, have some father issues in our nation? So, when we think of the actual father in heaven, do we think of Homer Simpson? Some of us do. When we think of the father up in heaven, do we think of the absentee father? Some of us do. Do we think he's no longer active, gone? Some do. Some haven't experienced a relationship with the father. And some of us think he didn't know what he was doing anywhere. And that is what's in our society today. But this prayer we're diving into, if you want to open your Bibles to it, it's Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. This prayer unpacks the way we should look at our dad in such a small prayer. See, the context of this is fairly simple. Jesus is ending his three-year ministry on earth. He has disciples. He has followers. He has given signs and wonders and miracles showing that God is very active. He's got a relationship with us. And it's coming to an end. And he's grieving this. He's in anguish over it. In Luke, it says it was to the point where he was sweating blood. He is grieving the end of his ministry, but he's grieving something more. See, he knew he was going to be beaten and bruised. If you want to find that out, just go to Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to unpack that in just a little bit. Let's read this first. He went on a little farther and bowed down with his face on the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He did that three times. That's an important number in the Hebrew texts. If you don't know that, three is a number that symbolizes completion, the full circle. Three in the number seven. On the third day, Jesus rose. Sound familiar? It was completed. This verse is Jesus knowing what is about to come. So if we rewind a little bit to chapter 53 of Isaiah... This is the prophecies all pertaining to the Messiah, what was going to happen to him on the night that he was betrayed through to the third day. And specifically, I look at Isaiah 53, verse 5. It says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He knows he's about to be betrayed by the same people he healed. He knows they're about to shout, crucify him, and this is hurting him, right? 
You'd be hurt too if your people that you had done something good for stabbed you in the back. But that's not the only thing that's going on here. Just a little bit on. In verse 6, we see, We like sheep have gone astray. Each have turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. He knows all of his followers were sheep. They're about to run away. His closest inner circle are all about to just ditch him. Peter, one of his closest, is going to deny him. The only one that maybe stuck through long enough was John. And that's because he was with Jesus' mother, comforting her during the time. He's about to have his back, or his friends turn their backs on him. And this is causing him pain. But just a little later on, the greatest pain that Jesus is about to feel is going to be revealed. In verse 10, it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He knows ultimately what's going to happen is his father, who he has a relationship with, has never not had a relationship with him, is about to do this. And look away. Have you ever been rejected by your dad? It hurts. Today we see that a lot. If you go to the prison system, and a lot of people will say it's race. Actually, there was a study done that showed, regardless of race, the same percentage of men incarcerated from any race had fatherless households. It was like 96%. Regardless of if you were black, white, Hispanic, Asian, male or female, 96%. When a father turns their back on you, it hurts. This is the grief he's feeling. The first truth we can take from this is he knows what's about to happen, and it's not good. He knows he's going to feel that pain for a time. And he knows there's something coming after it. But in order to know that he knows, you kind of got to know who Jesus was. We know his three-year ministry here, but a lot of people look at this and like he's begging to get out of it. This is his humanity. No, he was always there. One thing Jesus knew about the Father was he could trust him. This trust goes all the way back to the beginning of time. See, in John verse, or chapter 1, verse 1, the apostle John is saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. There he was, at the very start. Which means he was there when we sinned and turned our back on God. He saw that. It means he saw when his, God got, his father got so furious with his creation, he was going to wipe it out with a flood. He was there. And I'm going to hop to this one. If you want to follow with me, it's actually uh, Genesis chapter 22. Where'd my marker go? There it is. Genesis chapter 22, in verse 12. He was there when Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac on the mountain. And he heard his father say this through the angel. He heard him say, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear the Lord because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Why would you reiterate that? Your only son. 
We've heard that before, haven't we? This is my son, my only son. God said that. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Just a little later on, he says it a second time. Coming up in verses 15 or 16, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld from me your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And this is a big one. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Foreshadowing a bit to Jesus coming. Because Abraham obeyed God and was willing to give up his only son, God's saying here, I'm going to give up mine. Now, you should be glad I wasn't Jesus. Because if I heard that, I'd be like, say what? Wait, wait, wait. The next couple thousand years would be very different. <laughs> Fathers, if you have told one of your kids to do something, do they do it right away? Every time. Sometimes they do. Clean your room. Can I finish watching this movie? Take out the trash. Uh, I'm too tired. Right? We hear it. If I was in that place, the next 2,000 years would have been me trying to barter with my dad to try and do it another way. See, Jesus was there throughout the rest of this, and if it was me, when God put the law down through Moses, it would have been me saying, hey, can you just tell them exactly what you want them to do and see if they can do that? Write it out. Plain as day, tell them exactly how to behave, and if they can do that, let them come into heaven. They'll be perfect. Give them the law. Well, we disobeyed the law. So that didn't work. I would, if I was Jesus, I would have been there when the judges happened, right? Israel would turn to God during a time of strife, and God would send a judge and deliver them. And I'd say, there, see, they're delivered. And then they'd turn away again and say, okay, the judges aren't working. Prophets, let's send them prophets. Let's give them your actual voice in someone's mouth and tell them it exactly what to do, right? And then they denied the prophets in 1 Samuel, uh, I think it's 8, verse 7. The people of Israel are crying for a king and no more prophets. And God tells Samuel, listen to their plea. They have not rejected you, but me as their king. So he gave them a king. And the kings couldn't save them. So prophets, the law, kings, judges sacrifices would have all been me trying to barter with God. But instead, what these were was God showing us we cannot save ourselves. Jesus knew we couldn't save ourselves because of this. He knows his father. His father speaks the truth, and he knows he's going to have to be sacrificed. The rest of this was for our sake. Even the silent years to show us even if God steps back, we can't get it right. We were aching for the Savior. We were longing for him. So when Jesus says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, I think he's actually confirming with us this is the only way. Because if God, who always answered Jesus' prayers, if he said, healing be done, healing was done. Sea be calm, the sea was calm. If God, who would answer any prayer of his son, 
stayed silent in this moment, it's because at the end Jesus said, your will, not my will be done. This is the only way. So when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no man comes to the Father but through me. This confirms it. Just a little later on, when Peter chops off the ear of the person who's going to arrest Jesus, he proves that. That takes us to the second point that we can take today. If Jesus can trust God, we can too. And here's how we handle this anguish. He shows us the exact way to handle the anguish. Jesus knew the scriptures and he knew that those who trust in the Lord will be comforted. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, Jesus goes to his father who's, who cares for him and he relies on this verse. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles, run, not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. He's asking his father as well to comfort him, to help him get through this because he knows it's about to hurt. And in Isaiah, it says he's going to be silent while we do this. He needs that strength. He's asking for that. In 1 Peter 5, verse 7, it says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. He's laying his worries at the feet of his perfect loving father. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart as you live in Christ Jesus. Another version says, the peace which passes understanding. He's asking God for this peace. So when we look just a little later on in Matthew, we're going to see something. But God does respond. Have you ever read the Luke version of this? In Luke, after he prays the first time, it says in Luke chapter 22, verse 43, then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. God did respond. He gave his son strength to endure what was coming. And the evidence of this is just a little bit later in Matthew 26, verses 53 through 54. Don't you realize that I could have asked my father for a thousand angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? Jesus had a choice. Did you know that? He didn't have to die on the cross. Jesus could have stopped right there and said, you know what? You destroyed this earth before. Do it again. These people don't deserve it. It says right here, he could have and God would have listened. But then he says, if I did this, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? God always tells the truth. And since Jesus' will was the will of his Father to be done, he couldn't back out. If his will is truly his Father's who he trusts fully, he couldn't back out. He couldn't leave everything behind. He couldn't desert us. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Just a little bit later, the reason we needed that, he didn't come to condemn the world. For God didn't send his Son to condemn the world, but to save it. There was no way we could go to heaven, but through this act. And God promised he would do it. And Jesus knew the promise was that he would have to lay his life down. And there's a trust that comes with that. 
The trust is that he would rise again three days later. Because if that wouldn't happen, nothing else would. I, I don't know if you believe this about Jesus, but as I've read in the scriptures, I kind of think it's a possibility. Jesus is asked about the future and what's to come and when God will come back. And he says, some things even the son doesn't know. The father has withheld them from him. He's got to trust God will follow through and not leave him dead. He'll turn his back on his son, but then three days later, come back and bring him back. He's got to trust in that. Because for a moment, he gave up his divinity. He gave up his ability to know everything, to come down and be a human and live among us. For a moment, the Holy Spirit was going to be away from him, which means he no longer knows what's going to happen. He has to trust in everything that's led up to this point that God is going to come through. His father is going to do what he said he's going to do. If your father doesn't do what he says he's going to do, how badly does that hurt? I'm guilty of it. I myself have told my kids I'll do something and things have gotten in the way and I haven't done it and I know it sucks for them. I know they're angry when that happens. <laughs> I've felt the anger of my daughters <laughs> looking at me saying, you said you would. And me saying, I just can't anymore. God doesn't do that. And Jesus had the faith in him to do that because he knew something was coming. In Isaiah 53, verse 10, it says, he would see his offspring. The Messiah would see his offspring. He would see the fruits of this sacrifice. Isaiah promised it because God told Isaiah to write it down, that this Messiah would come and endure all this so that he could see the result. He had to go back 400 years to when that was written and trust a word written 400 years ago in the book of Isaiah. Sometimes we can't even trust words that happened yesterday. Can you imagine 400 years of silence and believing what was said 400 years ago? Hebrews puts it like this, in Hebrews 12, verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. But for the joy. Jesus knew this sacrifice, if his father is going to honor his word, is going to lift him up and he would be anointed and held over everything. He would be lifted up. The Bible does say if we lift up God, God lifts us up, right? Those who acknowledge God will be acknowledged. Those who acknowledge Jesus will be acknowledged by the father. Jesus trusted his father completely until death. If he can do that, why can't we? He gave everything as the greatest commandment says to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. He was beaten and bruised. His strength was gone. His heart never turned from God. His mind 
was on eternity, on us. Today we have a choice. Do we trust God with everything? See, God's plan is to raise those up who raise him up, to bless those who bless him. Do we trust that? Do we believe that? Have you trusted him with everything? With your relationships, men and women, with your husband, with your wife, with your children? Have you trusted him with that fiance, the boyfriend, the girlfriend? your friendships, your best friends. Do you trust him with that? That if you honor what the scripture says, if you do what God told us, because God came to fulfill the law and not abolish it, the Old Testament is still God's way. Do we trust that? Do we honor that in everything? What about promptings with the Holy Spirit? trust God that when he gives us that ping to go and pray for somebody to go and speak a word that we're not going to look foolish that it doesn't matter if we look foolish that that word needs to be said that prayer needs to be made do we trust when we pray healing over somebody God will listen if we have that prompting this person's supposed to be healed do we pray over that person healing or do we just pray comfort God comfort them or do we pray God heal them I didn't always trust what my dad said. If anything, if you look at my story and get to know me more, you'll understand I was like a prodigal. I had a good dad. I went away from him. I rejected him. I stopped listening to what he taught me to do. I made mistakes. I paid the consequences. I know the pain that it is to feel the rejection of myself towards the Father. My dad knows that rejection too. Today, if my dad recommends I do something, I really, really pay attention. Because I know he honors this. Hollywood got it wrong, didn't it? I made time. Today, as we think about our dads, don't think about the dads the world is telling you to think about. Don't think about the attributes they give them. Even though Hollywood did get one thing right, when those fathers happen, it really does mess you up. When you think about your father today, think about them as you think about your father in heaven, someone you want to honor someone who may want the best for you. God told us in his law, honor your father and mother, both. Today's Father's Day though, sorry ladies. Honor your father and mother. And it will go well with you and you will have long life. Honor them whether they are with you or not. Because he's always with you there in every moment. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10. 